1: On this show, I try to interview a wide variety of people who are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, people working in companies just being entrepreneurial with the idea of inspiring all of us to be able to do more. And today's show is going to be no different. Today I have Stephen Worley, and he is actually a self-employment coach. He actually believes that our future is all based in self-employment. But here's the thing about Stephen. He's a listener of the show, and he wrote to me wanting to be on the show, yeah, I get about five of these types of inquiries a day, and I try to be a nice guy and reply. I'm really looking to bring some bigger entrepreneurs on the show, and I am not wanting for friends who are solopreneurs. My whole social circle seems to be solopreneurs. So usually I politely say, hey, thanks for writing, but no thanks unless you have like 100 employees or something like that. However, Stevens was a little different. Not only did he reference several parts of the show that proved he listened to it. Sometimes people will put things like, oh, I listened to that one episode. They won't say anything that happened, but they read the person's name. And they'll say, oh, I listened when you uh, interviewed Stephanie. And they don't say anything, but it was great. He actually referenced things from the show directly. And then he took a screenshot of the review he left on iTunes before he even asked to be on the show. Now – We live in a world where a lot of people are takers. Hey, put me on your podcast. Put me on your podcast. But this guy actually promoted the show and wrote a review, and uh, I said, okay, you win because you're a giver, and we want givers on the show because I think givers should win more than uh, takers. So I said, I don't even know what you do. You can be on the show. And then I found out what he did was really cool and totally aligned with what we talk about, so that was like an extra win. So by the way, if you want to be on the show, go review it, promote it all over social media, and then ask me. I still may say no because Stephen's already beat you to the, the punch, but I did say yes to him. Hey, Stephen, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do.
0: Well, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction and for inviting me to the cool kids table.
1: That, that's right. So tell everybody what is your, I mean, what is a self-employment coach? I mean, come on, what What do you do?
0: I would almost say some people call me an unconventional career coach because I truly believe work is Fundamentally changing as we know it, and it's going to look a lot more like self employment and less like traditional employment, the way we all think of work, the way we are all taught about work. so I know a lot of times that makes people people feel super uncomfortable, but I like to tell people, wouldn't you like to know if I knew this secret and I knew this was coming, wouldn't you want me to tell you and they would say yes, and i've been living this way for seventeen years. I was also once like all those folks out there, I never thought I would ever work for myself. Economics, you know, got to be this way. I got laid off. And I was like, you know what? After uh, a few years of, you know, trying to always think I was going to get a job again, squirreling around and, you know, just, you know, trying different things, freelancing, uh, you know, consulting, different online projects. I was like, you know what? I think I'm kind of getting the hang of this thing. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I knew I wanted to work for myself. I just didn't know what it was going to be. And I, I had my ladder against the corporate wall, the wrong wall for far, far too long.
0: I like that. I mean, I, I call myself a reluctant entrepreneur, a reluctant entrepreneur, turned
1: happily unemployable because now I could never imagine working any other way. You you know what? That's so interesting because I actually could. I think I would be the best employee a boss had ever had after nine years of working for myself and dealing with all the things like, you know, payroll and taxes, even though it's just me. You still have to deal with all these things. I think that if somebody, I would hug my boss every day before I went home and said, thank you for taking on all the headaches that I dealt with for nine years. Now, I'm not actually looking for a job, but when people say they're, you know, chronically unemployed I'm like, oh, no, no, I am. I would be so much better than I ever was as an employee.
0: But what are the right ingredients for you to want to go back to work for somebody else?
1: Uh, for me, it would have yeah. to be something that was had a lot of autonomy, uh, that had a, a really big upside, and that uh, I had a really long rope to hang myself, uh, and then I wouldn't, hopefully. But, uh, and then like a, a salary that made me go, really, you want to pay me that much? Well, I'll talk to you. And I've actually had a few of those calls where we've gone down the path in the last nine years, uh, and we've talked about it. But nobody's ever been able to, uh, to make it sound better than, than this so far. But it could happen.
0: And I think that's what's frustrating to me. I actually recently did an experiment. I actually applied for a job. I did a resume cover for the first time in 15 years. Because I just wanted to see, like, what does this feel like again? Like, what do people go through? What's that, that, that either or? I want to work for myself, or right? I want this job. And what, now what I hear even you describing that is people, we all want more freedom. But we also want stability. And I think that's fair. I think a lot of us don't want to become entrepreneurs to take over the world. We don't need to make millions of dollars. I am not one of those people. I like the autonomy. I like that when I had to spend the entire summer last summer helping my father-in-law because he was very ill, I didn't have to ask somebody to go do that. It didn't count against me. I got to do, I got to rearrange my work. So by this big life opportunity, this big life thing, I could fit into that. And I think that's what I want to put out there. And I think, you know what really bummed me out, Tom? In that interview process, it is, it is implicitly put out there that you can talk about negotiating your salary, you can negotiate you know, potential some time off, but you are not allowed to tell others how you like to work, how, what makes you productive. You are automatically assumed that if we are going to give you this job, you're joining our tribe, and you have to immediately submit to exactly
1: how we work. I don't think that's fair. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, is I probably wouldn't be able to submit to the way it works. But but, but because
0: we're we're broken now. because when you're working for yourself all the time, I mean, that's a scary thing. I call it the decision shift because it's slowly creeping up on all of us. We are all being asked to make more and more decisions over how we work, whether we realize this or not, which is that's why things are starting to look more like self-employment, except then every once in a while. People are telling you exactly how things have to be done, and you're like, "You know what? I know there's a better way, or at least let's try a better way, but when you get to when you're out here out on the outside of the corporate walls, we get to experiment all the time
1: so so stephen so you, you you experimented and bounced around let's talk about some of the stuff you did over seventeen sure. years because I don't think seventeen years ago you said hi i'm a self employment coach
0: no, i didn't i I tell people it took me five years to even feel kind of comfortable saying that I was self-employed or I was an entrepreneur because I was so indoctrinated and I was taught that economic security, a good life meant I had to go work for somebody else. I had to get a job. My parents were blue collar. They gave me this amazing opportunity to go to college. They'd made all the right decisions for somebody who grew up in the 80s and 90s. But it turns out I was on the cusp of something big called the internet, which has like totally Turned our lives upside down.
1: Yeah, I've been going to look into that thing. I hear it's here to stay.
0: <laughs> I, I hear it's going to be big. It's going to be huge. So, I, I, and it's hard. What I've learned is, and this is why I love what I do. I'm not just teaching people how to start a business. I'm teaching people how to start reprogramming their mindset. Because the first stage of really of self-employment is, getting comfortable with managing yourself. First thing I always hear, Tom, I know maybe you hear this too, but people are saying, I, I could never manage myself. I would know what I would do. No idea what I would do. And I said, well, guess what? Your entire life was scheduled for you. Every moment of every year of every month up until this point that you decide that you might want to go work for yourself, even if you're working for yourself. I mean, working for somebody else right now, you know, you might think you have a decision when you go get to eat lunch or where you get to eat lunch, but even if it's not implied, there's the culture of the company. If everybody else is eating their lunch at desk at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so will you. And I, and I think that's
1: ridiculous. So, so you didn't answer the question. What did you do? What were your first okay, ways to things. actually earn money?
0: Number one was freelancing. Scared the crap out of me.
1: So what, did, what, what type of freelancing? What was your background?
0: So my background was in television news production. I'd worked for CBS News, CNBC. I went to a dot-com, partly owned by CBS at the time. Got laid off. Election Day 2000, part of the dot-com bust. You're welcome. <laughs> and I'm so glad I had that experience, though, because it opened you know, this whole new world to me. And there was kind of like a mini depression in New York at that time. I could not get a job right away. So I had five different resumes. I mean, I applied for everything. Finally got a call back from a company in Greenwich, Connecticut, about 45 minutes outside of New York to produce, I'm now gonna date myself, an interactive CD-ROM for a pharmaceutical company that was teaching doctors how to use this new website that they developed. So I had to hire actors, actresses, I had a script, I had to then also shoot all this video, combine it into this interactive CD-ROM, working with a PR agency. I mean, I, was, I had never done any of that before, you know? And I threw myself into the deep end of the pool, it was very successful, they gave me another project and another project, but then I, I kind of started to freak out and like, oh my god, what happens when they stop giving me work? That means I'm gonna have to find another client, or what do I do about accounting? I have to, you know, keep my own books. I have to invoice them. Uh, I have to pay quarterly taxes. Somebody said I have no idea. Do all this stuff that I you never have to think about as an employee. All of a sudden, it's all on your lap as a self-employed person. So I got so freaked out, Tom. <laughs> I decided I'm going to go back to business school, which currently I would not recommend. If you want to work for yourself, do not get an MBA. I will save you. in two years of your life. The best experience you can get in in, in, in learning how to start a business is to start one yourself. I don't know how you feel about that, Tom.
1: No, I mean, absolutely. In fact, I just interviewed, I don't know, a couple of weeks back, I, I interviewed a guy who is the CEO of a soft drink company, and and he was awesome. Like, it's one of the best interviews. He had a lot of great advice, but he's a Harvard MBA, and I kept referring back to that, and his answer was, yeah, it's not as important as you think. It's it's nice right after you get it, but 25 years later, because it doesn't matter. I've learned everything on the job.
0: And especially today, uh, for what we do We are actually innovating and experimenting with different ways of reaching out with people, right? And if you went to uh, most MBA programs, they're going to teach you marketing. Maybe that could be possibly five years out of date.
1: Well, and and, and I have a a young gentleman I'm working with who's looking at starting his own podcast. And I told him, the way you learn how to start your podcast is start it. If you go back 353 episodes or whatever we're at, you go back that many episodes and look – at my first episodes, it's it's not as good. I'm not as good at at pressing people to give answers. I don't go off script. Somebody would give an answer, I would go to the next question. Uh, you know, it wasn't. It's not the real world of what I'm doing today. And I only learned to do it by doing over 300 episodes.
0: Yeah, and I love it. And I just had an accelerator with a bunch of students, and I tell them to do a habit sprint. Do something for like 30 days. Just do it. You want to start a podcast? do it for 30 days. You know, go do record something for 30 days. You want to start a YouTube channel, go record a video for 30 days and just keep doing it because it just gets your head and that mindset out of this perfectionism stuff. Once again, that's kind of part of the culture of being an employee. Corporations want us to be perfect because they're bottom line oriented. They have people to answer to. But when you want to start learning something new, you just have to do it over and over. And I'm not and I'm not saying don't improve, but you will have reflection points. So after 30 days, see where you're at.
1: Well, you are right about them wanting sort of perfection. The other thing that that corporate America wants is they want you to be a box that's so big and it's blue or or whatever. They want you to fit directly into a pattern that that they fit in. And I had a conversation with somebody recently and he's an artist and he's like really involved in the tech community in Silicon Valley and he wants he's in the recruiting side of things and he went to work for a company and they didn't appreciate his artistic vision of what the workplace could be. And I told him, I said, Yeah, that's, you can't get mad at corporate America for being corporate America. He was all angry that they weren't accepting the fact that there's more to work life than just, you know, punching a clock and making calls and, and hitting a matrix. And I said, You know, when you're on a northbound train, which is what corporate America is, you have two choices you go north or you get off. And if you get off, you can go south, you can go east, you can go west, or you can stand on the platform and sell coffee to people who are getting on the northbound train. But don't be mad at a northbound train for being a northbound train. And I think that's one of the things that happen is people get mad at companies because companies are so boxed in, like you said, and yet that's just what it is. So if you don't like it, go start your own thing. But Tom, that requires
0: you accepting yourself. Instead of spending all your energy being accepted
1: by others,
0: having corporations choose me, pick me, that's what we've been taught.
1: So what happened in your experiment? I want to go back to that. You, you said you applied for a job. What happened?
0: I sabotaged myself. I got so far in. I, I was like, I am good at it. Well, but you know what happens is when you get to work for yourself, you get really good at knowing how to read people, you get really good at telling your stories if you are very conscious and self-aware about so i got very deep into this interview process it was many hurdles uh i had to review a resume and cover letter had a phone interview had to come in and do a training and toward the end of this round i i I said in the interview (laughs) i said i'm not really excited about the 40 hours a month of commuting i would have to do to get to this job pretty much i knew i sunk myself right there because it was going to be about coaching and I coach people all over the world. You know what I mean? I know this can be done. I know I can convey energy through a video screen. I love in person. Nothing replaces in person. But we do live in a
1: world uh, today where that's not always possible. So, how long have you been uh, in this role? How long have you been doing the the career coaching piece? Two years. Okay. So- Two
0: years officially as a business. A decade unofficially. I was that friend who was like, "Go talk to Steve." You know, after a while, it's one of those things. I always tell people. If you want to, you don't have to look too far hard to find a business idea. Do the thing that everybody keeps asking you for.
1: Well, like I've started helping people who want to make some money. Not not people who want to become a full time speaker, but people who want to. You know, they get asked to speak, but the. People never want to seem to pay them and they want to find out how, you know, how can they get paid to speak. And so I've started coaching people because enough people came to me and said, you know, I've got this company, but can I do this on the side and how would I do it? And everybody goes about it wrong. And so I've started coaching people on, you know, if you want to be a paid speaker as a part-time gig. It's a, it's a different thing than if you want to do it as a full-time gig. And, uh, you know, I'll, I, I'm teaching people how to do it. And it came from the fact that like eight people in three days asked me for that advice. So I said, yes, there's a fee attached to that.
0: There is. I mean, I, I also, I, I know, don't, don't judge me, folks, but I, I charge my friends. You know what I mean? Because it's like I would pay them for their expertise and the way that they want to get paid. And I often explain that this is what I do. This is my expertise, and I want to get paid for that.
1: I because charge I think, my friend in really expensive dinners and wine. <laughs> if, we're because, that, if, we're, if we're close enough that you'll take my wife and I out to, like, you know, Ruth's Chris, I might waive the fee.
0: But here, here's the thing, kind of that back to how I, I bet you're – I'm going to make an assumption here. You might be helping people get paid for speaking gigs that they normally don't get paid for because one thing people are horrible at – is valuing themselves and valuing what they do, and then explaining to other people and not feeling bad about asking for it.
1: Yeah, but in the speaker world, there's also people who overvalue themselves. So people look uh, around oh, and, oh, sure. and, and they think, oh, so and so gets $10,000 a speech. So that's what I want to charge. And it's like, well, yes, why don't you try selling it at $1,000 or two for a while? Let, let's, let's, let's test the market a little bit. And then people can't figure out why they don't get paid. You know, hey, Barack Obama got $450,000 to give a speech. I think I'm worth at least half that. No, I don't, I don't really think you are. My first
0: time I was asked to speak at an executive conference, you'll be, I did, I did not ask to get paid. I was so flattered, right? You you, that first time that somebody recognizes for your, an area of expertise. That was the last unpaid gig. But to your point, it is an incremental, you have to create that demand. There's almost like I call it the apprentice phase of anything where you can, you're going to charge a lower amount. Um, but charge something fair, about something a little bit to stretch you outside of your comfort zone so you always have a little negotiation room. But you're right. I mean, there's people who are just ridiculous in terms of what their rates are. And I've hired speakers who have ridiculous rates, and I've negotiated them down. It is possible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so what is it that you really love? I mean, obviously, the autonomy and the freedom. But what, what is it that really gets you excited about this whole idea of, of being self-employed?
0: I get to be myself 100% of the time. And I know that sounds like, oh, that sounds so Pollyanna kind of thing. But I know there's people listening to this, Tom, that they go off to work every day and they put on the uniform of whatever yep. their outfit is. And they, have, they feel like they have to go to certain lunches or do certain things or be around certain people. And that takes energy to be this other person that you know you're just not. And the more I got into this, the more I just knew, because we all have limited energy, right? We always talk about time in terms of productivity, which is a little bunk. Just because you're up for 16 hours today does not mean every one of those hours is equal in terms of your energy. And I've become really very passionate about learning how to conserve, conserve and deploy my energy. And one of the ways is like I could not go back to most traditional work structures because they are asking me to be somebody that I am not. It's kind of funny when you think about it. It's almost we're at this very refined point in, hu- in human history in terms of work where we are expected to work like robots just at the moment that robots are going to take over.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, the robots you ever are coming. About it that way? Well, you know, I was a big fan of Battlestar Galactica when I was a kid back in the 70s and the robots took over and then they killed everybody. So, uh you know, we got we got to watch out I, for those robots.
0: I'm more of a I have more of an optimistic view because you are working for yourself. Hasn't automation made your life so much easier in in running your business compared to ten years ago?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I I still think so much of what I do because it involves my time for money and it involves me that I think a lot of it. You know, it's a little more efficient because of that. But you know, at the same time, you know, I I. I don't have a lot of stuff that I do that's, that's automated because it's just not the nature of, of my actual business. At the end of the day, yes, I mean, I couldn't have recorded this podcast without the technology that exists today, but I still can't automate it. I can't just set the computer to interview Steven. I still but have to l- do a lot of this. Let me
0: add to that. Now, When we look at a process like podcasting or anything in a business, there's many different sub-processes, right? So just arranging a time for us, we didn't do a back and forth on email. We used a a scheduling link.
1: Yeah. And I just got that a couple of weeks ago. So 350 previous episodes I did back and forth. (laughs) So I I will tell you, it still worked.
0: It still worked, but you're getting all, because what it is, though, back to conserving your time and energy, it's all those little minutes that start adding up instead of now and it, and it, you have that back in your time you're not going to realize when well, you start doing all those little I, things over and over I
1: don't I don't disagree with you but I think people think oh I've saved that back and forth I'm so much more efficient I think people give themselves a pat on the back that somehow they're that more efficient and I think most people then spend their time watching days of our lives that they saved I think I don't think people get Otherwise, you'd see people with all this efficiency. You'd see the average person making more money and being more efficient. Most of my friends are less efficient than they were 10 years ago from the outside looking in. They have great tools to automate them, but they, you know, they just give themselves more time to waste and to, to surf the internet and look at other stuff. So Thank you for, t- thank you for teeing these up for me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. If you
0: don't mind if I could challenge that one. Yeah, please. Because uh, number one, one thing I have learned about working for myself and really studying – how people, how much energy you have, even throughout the ages, people do not work ten-hour days. They don't even work eight-hour days. You have at max three to four hours of quality energy and mental focus to do your best work. That is it. But again, we live in this old-fashioned culture. The eight-hour workday was totally made up, totally invented. That works for the corporate structure, not the individual. And th- that, that you are going to sit and do a podcast for eight hours a day or write for eight hours a day, day after day, week after day, week, after month after month, is a load of baloney. So what, I, what I'm saying is, is, is a lot of this administrative work can be reduced so that way I can conserve my energy for my best work.
1: No, I, I, I think you're right. So, Stephen, we've got, <laughs> you, we've got you here, and you're the expert on going solo, going off on your own. What advice do you have for someone who's listening going, yes, yes, I want to do this?
0: Number one, most overlooked step is, you have to learn about yourself. You're the first resource of your business. You're also its biggest obstacle. And I can't tell you how many times people overlook this this step because they think running a business is all the tactical stuff. Stephen, what kind of legal entity should I be? What kind of accounting software should I I use? What should I use for a website platform? None of that matters until you really understand what motivates you, what energizes you, how you like to work, how you like to work with other people, what makes you productive. And also then understanding what is a problem you want to solve or what's something you're so interesting. You just want to explore it and you don't not, you're not obsessed with it. Is this going to be a million dollar idea. What happens if it's just a $50,000 a year idea? I say, that's awesome. If that's something that you're doing and you get to work in alignment with who you are around something that you're passionate about, that is success to me.
1: Well, and I think people do get too caught up in in, in the dollars. I mean, you, oh. you could you could make half the money and be happier. And I mean, that's a that's a huge thing you have to think about. Is there's a lot of there's a lot more to this living and working than just the the almighty dollar. Now, it's true if you can do both, if you can do something you're happy about and make a lot of money, then you have a lot more choices. But I I, I know a lot of people who are miserable in their jobs. Mm-hmm. They make a lot of money, but they're miserable. I mean, they say lawyers is like one of the highest. Uh, Suicide rates in the country because they're miserable. And yet the ones I know make three, four, five hundred, you know, a million dollars a year, but they're unhappy. So it's, I, I wouldn't trade that.
0: Yeah. You keep buying stuff thinking that that's going to make you happier. And it just, it just, and they've, they've done studies when you buy like a car with within nine
1: months that the, the happiness level for, from that purchase to not clients. my car. My car is four years old and it's still <laughs> I the greatest purchase I've ever, every time I look at it. What kind I, of car do you have? I, so my first car when I was 16 years old. Was a 16-year-old car. My first car, and I were the same age. It was a '66 Mustang. It was candy apple red, uh, highlighted all in black, and it was awesome. And my brother owned it, and for he had a company car. He was 10 years older than me. Gave me his car, which was his pride and joy, and uh, I had it all through high school and first year of college. And then he had gone on a round-the-world trip, and our mom died while he was gone, and he wasn't ready to go back to work, so he needed his car back. So not only did my mom die when I was 18. Uh, Almost 19, my brother ripped my car away from me, which, I mean, he owned it, whatever, you know, technicality, and I always wanted another one. The problem was is that a 50-year-old car doesn't make any sense for me right now, so I ended up getting a brand new in in 2014. I got a brand new uh, 2014 red Mustang. And everybody thought it was some sort of a midlife crisis. And it was just like, no, I got my car back. It just, it just took just You're actually giving
0: years. me chills telling this story. I think that's so awesome because it's another thing I always teach people. It's about prioritizing your spending because we have this, I believe the American dream, we should kill it off because it means we should have everything. You shouldn't have everything, that car is super important to yeah, you. The other thing is it. it
1: was like $23,000. People are like, oh, you got a new car. What would you get? A BMW? You know, a Lexus? Oh, those were like 60, 70 grand. Why would I do that? I got like a $25,000 car. And four years later, every time I get into it, I go, hey, this is my car. And you love it. That's what's so cool. I, I do actually. Like when you say you, it wears off, I, every time I like come back from a trip and I get out and I see the car in the parking lot at the airport, I'm always like, oh, I still have the Mustang. But it, and it's
0: another exercise I walk people through is to calculate the cost of your lifestyle because we're always taught to look at our value in terms of how much we make every single year. But we never take the time to say, how much money am I spending? How much my dad even spent in the last year? Most people have no idea. And to then understand like, I want this car or I want this kind of vacation. And then I really don't care about much else. And here's my 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 monthly living expenses. Here's some a regular, you know, non-reoccurring expenses, when you kind of start calculating that all out, I can't tell you, Tom, how many times i brought people through that exercise and they're like,
1: whoa, I can't believe I need a lot
0: less money every year than I
1: thought. So, so we tried to teach the kids that it's not about stuff. Our family motto when the kids were growing up were tickets, not trinkets. And so we still spent a lot of money, but we didn't do a lot of things, but we took a lot of trips. Like the kids got to go to Europe four times and, uh, you know, we'd, we'd, take them on a vacation they've been to every major city in the united states give or take a few and uh part of that has to do with you know it was like okay no birthday presents no christmas presents but you know we're gonna go rent a house on saint simon islands for a week this summer
0: and they have they will always have those memories those that's the other thing is is when you when you do kind of do that exercise if you can bring yourself toward the end of your life of like when you're laying in a hospital bed you know like what do you have left but memories? Hopefully you have your mind and you can remember those memories, but that's hmm. it.
1: So Steven, so I think when somebody you know goes and starts their own business, they have a lot of potential, but yeah. the reality is there's a gap between potential and results. So what do you think is the trick for someone who's starting their own business to actually not flounder, but actually make something? How, how do they get across that gap between potential and results? Yeah.
0: I just went through this in my accelerator, number one thing with all of them it validated the number one, I think obstacle every aspiring solopreneur has or entrepreneurs, they do not spend enough or I didn't either or most people don't spend enough time talking to the people that you are serving, really understanding them, taking a genuine interest in how they talk about their problem, how they do their business or whatever their work is or whatever experience or feeling that they want to have. And the more you can really listen to them, you start really designing your product or service in partnership with them. So it becomes more of a collaboration. And if you do this right, and I did it right in my last business, your customers will come to you. You will not have to go chasing them down all the time because you did such a good job in those early stages of really listening to them, of really caring about them. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, talking to your customers is important. And even when you've been doing it a long time, people's needs change, the, the cheese moves, and you, you've got to be able to, to know what, what, what people are looking for. So, Stephen, I've got some more questions for you. But first, I've got to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Stephen Worley. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash coolthings. And check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this podcast. Hey, Stephen, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So really, what's the coolest thing you're doing with your business right now?
0: Well, one thing I just want to say, I'm addicted to your podcast because your voice is amazing. <laughs> it is such a great radio voice. It's so like comforting and authoritative all at the
1: same time. Go tell all your friends, listen to this guy. He'll, <laughs> I don't know if it's – he'll put you to sleep. It's so soothing. I don't know.
0: No, no. It's just a very intense comfort. You know, that's, that's what I, so cool things that I'm doing. Uh, I will have to say one of the coolest things I did was a little while ago. Can I share that? Can I share a Fish. cool thing now and a cool thing in the past? Yes. Cool thing recently is having finally the opportunity to work with 10 people in a systematic way over 30 days. I've always had this dream of saying, you know what? You've been thinking about working for yourself for so darn long, especially all the 10 people it was an average of two years that they thought about working for themselves. To like, let's just get this out of your head once and for all. Let's get your questions answered. Let's really figure this out in 30 days in an intense setting with a group of people who also want the same change. And it was so awesome day after day to be like, oh my gosh, these people are changing. They're doing it. They said they could never do it and it's happening. And because that was me, I, I You always, know, sometimes I think part of this, I, I designed it for myself because i didn't think i could do this it took me five years to finally get the permission to say i can do this i am doing it and i again it's i kind of realize i sound a little bit radical but we have an entire educational system that was designed to make you defer to authority to follow the directions not paint outside the lines and that is those are not skills that are useful for where the economy is going economy is changing so quickly now and when we think about ai the way computers are learning they're learning by experience and iteration that's the way we need to be learning to as humans. And that was really exciting to see, like to see all these people constantly email me every day about what they're doing now and how they're gaining confidence and how they're talking to their customers that they would not have done in that way before.
1: So, awesome. And the other, my, the other one? My,
0: my past one, which is something I always wanted to do, something I never thought I could do for some reason, like you have your car. I had it in my head that I wanted to live in Spain one day. And but at the same time, I I, I would I always told myself that would never happen. I mean that's crazy. Who's gonna? You can't live in Spain. And then in my last business, I started to really I was doing sales training online and offline. I started to really understand these new principles of how I can be automating, delegating more of these structures. So I said I'm gonna test this out. Could I run this same business without telling any of my clients from three thousand miles away? So I lived in Spain for four for four months in 2010. None of my clients ever knew, never a complaint, interruption of service. And it really just gave me this new empowerment, this new freedom to be like, wow, I am really designing life on my terms.
1: That's awesome. I think, that, I think that's great. And I think that that's the great thing about technology is we can totally do that in most businesses. So I think that's, I think that's awesome that you do that and, and that, that. So since you listen to the show, you know what the next two questions are. I ask everybody who's on the show, who do you see out there where you think that entrepreneur, they're doing something cool? um i have I have quite a few do is there a limit
0: uh, yeah, two two okay. I love entrepreneurs that are doing what I just described. They design their business around their lifestyle, their passion. I interviewed this woman recently, marinelle de she's a she leads mountain expeditions all over the world. She was a lawyer, and again, like me, she thought she could never do anything crazy like this, and it took her ten years to get to this point. Um, so she builds this business, taking people all over the world on these mountain expeditions who almost not, not even want to do mountain climbs, but I actually want to have a transformational experience. So it's a really different, different type of travel company. Um, and I also interviewed this other woman who loved swimming and she kind of loved fantasy stuff. So she created a mermaid swimming school. Did you hear me mermaid swimming school? and what I love about that is because everybody thinks I had this crazy idea. It could never be anything. And I always love pointing to her because she now has 10 locations in North America. <laughs> That's awesome. And the swimming fin that she was using, the, the, the company she was buying it from, I think in China could not keep up with the demand. So she created another company to design her own fin, to keep up with her own production. needs. <laughs> and it's like, this is the world we live in now. It's like the crazier, the idea that you have. I mean, there's never been a better time to like test it out. Give it a try. There could be an audience out there for it. Don't tell yourself no. That's the other thing. You can't, it's back to listening to your customers. Let other people tell you yes, no, or change it. Don't decide that by yourself. Oh, that's
1: probably great advice. So the last question I ask everybody is, I think entrepreneurs want to leave a mark behind. What is it that you do to give back to the greater good?
0: I'm doing a couple of things in this business. Um, this, actually, this is the first time I'm publicly stating this. I, in this business, will never make more than $125,000 a year. I'm capping my income. All profits after that will be reinvested into the business through scholarships, um, and I want to partner with other nonprofits who are supporting entrepreneurship. I also happen to be lucky that I have a man of simple taste. Not that I don't want this business to be crazy successful, because I want to have more funds to really help train people throughout the world. Uh, Because this is the way of working. This is happening. This is happening faster than people realize. We are so behind and we're not being led by our governments, by corporations. And I want to do, I'm just one person, part of this movement. I think you're on that movement too, of really helping people understand their work opportunities and options. So that is uh, my big idea of what I want to do. Because in my last business, I made a lot of money but I was not happy on a daily basis. Oh, I'm happy now.
1: That's cool. That's, that's awesome that you're going to do that. I think that's, that's an awesome way to do it. Figure out what you need, make what you need, and share the rest. And I owe that to Scott
0: uh, uh, Satans, who's a basic income advocate, who kind of started down that idea of how could I do this? It's always been. I wanted permission, and he helped me kind of figure that out. See,
1: I think that's great. So, Stephen, if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking, I, I need an entrepreneur coach. I need somebody to guide me into this. How do they find you?
0: You can go to lifeskillsthatmatter.com. And if you really want to start learning about yourself, I have a free 12-week course. You can go to lifeskillsthatmatter.com slash challenge. Send out a new challenge every Sunday just to help you build a self-awareness practice, focus on different areas of your life. And it's all these different puzzle pieces come together so you can start really seeing the patterns and start really understanding your potential and all these opportunities that you might have overlooked previously.
1: Well, thank you so much for reaching out to me and asking to be a guest on the show. This has been fascinating. You've given so much information. I mean, people probably have to go back and listen again to get all the information to sort of strewn into their brain. But uh, it's a perfect lesson. If you want something, don't just go, gimme, gimme, gimme figure out a way to give other people what they want. And clearly, I just wanted more reviews on iTunes. And uh that got my you got my attention because you did that. And literally with hundreds, I mean just in the last month, hundreds of people reaching out saying, "Put me on your show or put my client on your show." You were the only one who did it that way and and you know, it rose you to the well, top. I app- I really appreciate
0: that, but honestly, it comes from an authentic place. I don't want to just be on any old other podcast. I only want to be on one where I really do feel like there's alignment where I add something. And I would love to have you on my podcast. I Done. really just enjoy it Let's so do it. Much. Let's do it. It's so much fun talking to you. And, and I think we have a lot to share. So thank you. We really appreciate
1: this. this is great. Awesome. I look forward to being a guest on your show. We'll do it soon. Hey, thanks to everybody for tuning in. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. So please stay involved. Stay in touch. Go over to Facebook, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Check us out on Twitter, at Cool Podcast. Uh, You can find me at TomSinger, T-H-O-M-S-I-N-G-E-R.com for all the information around what I do. And if you want to join the group coaching program, The Potential mastermind project. Just go to potentialmastermind.com. All the information you could ever want is right there. But if you want more information, you can always just reach out and email me and I'll answer any questions that you have. Hey, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Steven. But in the meantime, go out there, have a great day.